Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Ballmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne in Melbourne, Florida. So you can see why Saul had a difficult time, chosen by God, wonderful man who had great potential, but he blows it because God isn't anywhere near in first place. Verse 4, the whole assembly agreed to this because it seemed right to the people. Now, I think that's good, but I think there's a great danger. You see, when you don't consult God, and then you go to your leadership and get their answer, and then you go to take a vote from the people, we're in trouble. The first person you want to consult is always who? God. Christian, imagine you know someone who is struggling financially. You want to help. So you pack up a box of food and deliver it to their doorstep. The next time you pass by their house, you see that the box is still full, untouched. As it turns out, the person has a wealth of food allergies. Your heart was in the right place, but it would have been better to just ask the person what they needed. As we'll hear today, when we receive a leading from the Lord, it's vital that we seek Him about how to carry out His plans. When we take matters into our own hands, good intentions can have disastrous consequences. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 13, verse 1, for today's study. Chronicles chapter 13. David, you remember, has taken the city, Jerusalem. It was a neutral place. It brought peace between the fractions in Israel. And he made it the political capital of the kingdom. But there was a part that was still missing. The part was the ark. David wanted to retrieve the ark and place it in Jerusalem. When he did that, he knew he could then declare that Jerusalem was not only the political capital, but it was the religious center of the nation as well. By the way, as we remind you, that's the whole key in Jerusalem. It is the religion. It isn't the political. You remember the ark? It was... A little rectangular box made of this very uh, interesting wood called acacia wood. It's covered with gold. It's very important how it was carried. Had these rings at the four corner. Must be carried only on the these poles. You remember there was also a lid or a mercy seat that was covered with gold. And on that mercy seat were those cherubs with their outspread wings. Inside that ark, two tablets of the Ten Commandments, you remember, a pot of manna, and Aaron's rod that had budded. The ark for the Israelites represented the divine presence of God. When it was there, it was representative of God. Now, the problem was that many of the Israelites made that kind of a mechanical deal. 
And it became like superstition. Listen, like God in a box. It removed the presence in the person of God. And it became religion. So easy for us to do. As you go through, we have to remember that we're not here as a God in a box. That God is alive. Needs to be worshipped that way. Now, because of this problem, the ark was captured in Shiloh around 1080, 1085 B.C. And to remind us a little bit of what happened when the Philistines captured it, let's turn back, just keep your finger there, we'll be back in a moment. Turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 5. 1 Samuel chapter 5. There are some wonderful lessons to see. The Philistines were always after the Israelites. They made fun of their God. And of course, since the ark represented the presence of God, they thought it very unusual that they could capture this. So they negated God basically down to nothing. In 1 Samuel chapter 5, it says, After the Philistines had captured the ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. There they carried the ark into Dagon's temple. Dagon was a supposed to be the father of Baal, so it was just a, you know it was just a, a foreign pagan dead god, and they set it beside the statue basically of Dagon. So what they were doing was adding another god to their kind of system of gods. The purpose of setting next to Dagon was to basically just say, if you want to come on in, here's the role of gods. They're all on an equal plane, putting the Philistines' God there. Now, they had used to been afraid of the ark because of the many times they lost Israel. But now that they captured it, it was like no big deal. So they put it next to their God. Verse 3, when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. Well, you can imagine when they walked in that day, and you just put your own names to it. Hey, Clyde, what did you do? Not Dagon over when you left last night and you turned the lights out in the place? Well, no, I didn't. Well, how did he get on his face? I don't know. So they basically, as you can see in verse 3, just set him up again in place as if must have just fallen off during the night and we'll just set him back into place. Aren't you glad we don't have to set our God straight? Now some of us have tried to do that. That is not a wise thing to do. Verse 4, the following morning, deja vu. When they rose, there was Dagon. This time he was falling on his face, just like he had the day before, but there's a difference. He had fallen on his face before the ark of the Lord. His head and his hands had broken off, and they were lying on the threshold. Only his body remained. Who did that? No problem for God, is it? Now, what does it signify if you have a God with no head and no arms. It signifies this. He has no intelligence to help you. He can't solve any of your problems. He has no head to think with. No arms? 
Remember what God says? His arms are not shortened that he can't what? Reach down and help us. Here's a God with no arms. So he couldn't help the people. I think that's incredible. A picture is worth a billion words here. Here's a God that they've been serving and worshiping. Now he can't hear or see or speak. He couldn't before, but now his head's disconnected. And he can't reach down and help. It's a wonderful picture of what really takes place. We have a God tonight who hears us. We have a God in the book of James that says, if you lack wisdom, ask of me. I'll give you the answer. And again, as I said from the book of Isaiah, our Lord's arm is not too short to save, nor is his ear too dull to hear. Verse 5, that is why to this day neither the priests of Dagon nor any others who enter Dagon's temple at Ashdod step on the threshold. (laughs) Fear time. I love it. Verse 6, look how it starts off. The writer must have been incredible. Look at the first three words. Whose hand? The Lord's hand. I love it. We have no hand on Dagon, but God still has a hand. And by the way, it's going to be a heavy hand. The Lord's hand was heavy upon the people of Ashdod in its vicinity. And he brought devastation upon them and afflicted them with tumors. So God's an awesome God. Now there's a lot of things, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but there are some historians that believe these tumors were hemorrhoids. I love it. God has a great sense of humor. Now it gets worse because in the next few verses, there are people that are killed. Skip on down to verse 11. So the Philistines finally call together all the rulers and say, Send the ark of God of Israel away. Let it go back to its own place, or it will kill us and all our people. For death has filled the city with panic, and God's hand was very heavy upon it. Remember, you saw that in the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Well, that was just kind of a little picture out of this. Hey, a lot worse than Raiders of the Lost Ark. God knows how to judge people. It started before the making fun of God in the ark. Now they say, please, get it out of here. So what happened is it remained there in Philistia for about seven months, then it went to Beth Shemesh, and then for 20 years at Kiriath-Jerim. This is the place, basically, where now David is going to go to get the ark and make it, again, put God in first place. He hadn't been in first place for a long time. He'd been on the sidelines. So God was coming back to first place. Now let's go back to Chronicles and see what happens. So David is together. He has a plan. City's kind of organized now. And David confers with each of his officers, the commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds. Once again, what do you see? Well, you see a number of things that are interesting. One, God is always a God of order. So we have these commanders who have thousands. Then we have these commanders who have hundreds. Don't think, you know, God's power is just like a loose cannon. It is not. It is always done in order. 1 Corinthians 14 says everything is to be done decently and in order. So there's a danger to remove the power of God. Then there's a danger to have it look like a circus. Here we have these men, and there was an organization. And notice, David conferred. Now, that didn't mean he went to all thousand of these people. He went to the leaders, and he conferred with them. 
I think that's a great sign of wisdom because the, the Bible says there's counsel in many. I think a great sign of a leader is to be teachable, to allow other people to have an opinion, certainly within the leadership. But you'll notice one thing here that's a problem, and it doesn't come right out in your face, but you'll see it later. Just remember it. It seems here that David does not consult God. So he consults man. He gets him in ideas from the leadership, but nowhere here is God consulted in his plans. In fact, he goes a step further in verse 2. He then said to the whole assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you, and here we have the God coming in, and if it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send word far and wide to the rest of our brothers throughout the territories and also to the priests and the Levites who are with them in their towns and pasture lands to come and join us. And let us bring the ark of our God back to us. For we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. That's a sad picture. What that means is this. That during Saul's reign, God was not in first place. Did that affect the nation? Big time. Would you say in the nation of the United States, God's in first place? Would you say we'll pay for that? Do you think we're paying for it now? Could it get worse? Yes. See, God has to be in first place. It won't take second. There's no one beside our God. So you can see why Saul had a difficult time, chosen by God, wonderful man who had great potential, but he blows it because God isn't anywhere near in first place. Verse 4, the whole assembly agreed to this because it seemed right to the people. Now, I think that's good, but I think there's a great danger you see, when you don't consult God, and then you go to your leadership and get their answer, and then you go to take a vote from the people, we're in trouble. The first person you want to consult is always who? God. So you can't rule by people. Nothing wrong with getting input from people. But very dangerous thing here. What if half the people would have said, remember, this nation just came back together. What if half the people would have said, Oh, I don't think so. And the other people said, oh, I think so. Do we have a problem on our hand? We have a great problem on our hand. So see, there's a danger. And that's really why you'll see in this fellowship, for instance, certainly want your prayers, we want your input. But we wouldn't come and say to you, we're struggling to figure out what next service should be. Should it be on Sunday or should it be on Saturday? Can we take a vote, please? Would that be a problem? Oh, it wouldn't be a problem. Sure, it'd be a problem. Because when you put it on whatever, the other people say, well, that wasn't my vote. Why are we doing that? So you know who we're consulting? We have a growth church specialist that's coming in. No, we're consulting God. By the way, is that the right person to consult? Absolutely. So you pray for us because we're just guys. We need God's wisdom. So here's a potential thing that David did that could have been very divisive. Verse 5, so David assembled the Israelites from the... Shihor River in Egypt to Lebo Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kiriath Jerom. And David and all the Israelites went with him to Balal of Judah to bring up from there the ark of God the Lord who is enthroned between the cherubim, the ark that is called by the name. And they moved the ark of God from Abinadab's house on a new cart, circle those words, with Uzzah, and Ohio guiding it. And David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God. 
Notice, with songs and harps, lyres and tambourines, cymbals and trumpets and keyboards and bongo drums and electric guitars. (laughs) They were worshiping God. Notice how they worshiped with all their might. They were excited about worship. And they used all kinds of different talent to do that. Psalm 100, let me read it to you. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is Dagon. No, know that the Lord is God. It is he who has made us. And we are his. We are his people. We're the dumb sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise on time. I mean, excuse me. And give thanks. That's that version I gave you this morning. You know, the new Mark Balmer version, right? And give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever, and his faithfulness, praise God, continues to all generations. So they're carrying the ark. They've got it. The presence of God is with them. They're excited. They have it on this brand new cart built for just this occasion. Verse 9. And when they came to the threshing floor of Kidon, In other words, it's said to be a very rough place in the road. Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen stumbled. And the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and he struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark. So he died there before God. Now, those of you that say you'd like to live in the Old Testament, I don't think so. Are you glad for grace tonight? Now, what happened was this. As the ark was on this cart, and it began to tip, Uzzah did instinctively what you would do. Certainly to keep it from falling, he reached out, and he tried to steady the ark. Now, there was a problem with this. God was displeased, struck him dead on the spot. Because of this, in Numbers chapter 4, verse 15, it says this. This is God giving instructions how the ark is to be transported. Notice, and when the camp is ready to move, the Kohathites are to come to do the carrying. In other words, the Levites. But they must not touch the holy things or they will die. And there's further instructions exactly how to carry. We just won't go into all that. The reference, the very presence of God was to be handled in reverence. The ark was to be carried only by the Levites, only through poles inserted through those rings. The Levites themselves could not touch it or even look into it because of its holiness. Now, even though Uzzah meant well, he touched the ark and had to face the consequences. Now, there's a question that's really unanswerable. I don't have the answer. I'm sure you don't have the answer. But it comes across our mind. Look in verse 11. 
Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. Who is the one really to blame for Uzzah's death? David. He's the leader. Now, notice the first thing. He's angry. Why did God kill Uzzah and not David? I don't know. I don't understand it. God knows. See, the Bible's silent. Does that mean that God's unfair? No, he has his reasons. We don't know. See, there'll be many things you come to in your life that we can't answer. That's why Paul says in the New Testament, we see through glass darkly. For us, it doesn't seem right. I mean, if anyone should die, it should have been who? In our eyes. But we don't know. Now, people argue about it. I think it's a foolish thing to argue about. Impossible to know. All we know is that David didn't. So David gets angry at God. But the problem is, remember back in verse 1? David never consulted God as to how to move the ark. Now, he should have known from his past, but he didn't consult God. God's word is always to be obeyed. Times don't change as far as the truth of God's word. Different ways that we do service certainly change, but God's word never changes. You see, this is really a very little thing. You carry it on a cart, or do you carry it on the, on the shoulders of the Levites? What's the big deal as long as we're carrying it, right? We don't want to tie the hands of people. But it's God's word. And when he says it's wrong, it was wrong then, it's wrong today. And if we live another million years, it'll still be wrong in the future. Because God's word said it is. So David made a huge mistake as a leader. He didn't consult God's word. The new cart represented man's way. Not God's way. Again, when we're talking about style of worship or how we teach or doing all those kind of things, that really doesn't matter. The illustrations and all those kind of things. But what we teach never changes. Verse 12, it's amazing. Notice how much enthusiasm was here for this thing. The ark's coming, the music's coming, the people are excited. Tremendous enthusiasm, great motives, but wrong method. Verse 12, after David gets over his anger, and probably who he's angry with really is who? Himself. He's probably going, I know I blew it. And some, you know, we initially get angry at God. Then when we, when we cool off a little, we go, that was stupid. It was me. And then we're embarrassed. For sure, as a leader, he had to be embarrassed in front of these people. He's the new king. He's the man of God. I've done lots of embarrassing things. It's hard to be a leader and do an embarrassing thing because you embarrass yourself, you embarrass God. It's just a miserable place to be. David's this way. So David then, his embarrassment turns to fear of God. Wonderful thing. And David was afraid of God that day and asked, how can I ever bring the ark of God to me? David's plan was to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem after it had been in the hands of Israel's enemies for years. His intentions were honorable as Saul had neglected to even try to get the Ark back. But like Saul, David neglected to consult the Lord, instead going with his own plans. As Pastor Mark pointed out, we can consult whoever we want. But the only true wisdom 
comes from God and His Word. Pastor Mark will continue teaching through this series the next time you join us. For those of you that like to have CD archives of Bible teachings, we'd like to offer you a CD of Pastor Mark's message from today. Log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and select the Order a Message option from the main menu. The cost for each CD is $5. This is only to cover the materials and shipping it takes for you to receive your CD. Again, to place an order for a CD, simply log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and select the Order a Message option. Now, here's Josh with today's message number and title. Thanks. The message number from today's broadcast is 2263. And the text from this message is 1 Chronicles chapters 13 and 14. Again, today's message number for ordering purposes is 2263. And Pastor Mark was teaching from 1 Chronicles chapters 13 and 14. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time here on Lessons for Living as we continue to look at 1 Chronicles chapters 13 and 14. When David tries to get the ark back to Israel, as we'll see, God has specific instructions concerning the ark, but David will pursue his own plan, leading to serious consequences. Sometimes God's reasons are a mystery to us, but we can trust that his will is for our good. We've run out of time today, but we do encourage you to tune in next time as Pastor Mark will continue sharing with us from the book of 1 Chronicles. That's next time on Lessons for Living.